Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soini Koch. A couple months ago, you might remember we had a discussion about the effect of immigration policy, specifically on IT, because there are a lot of people from other countries who work in the IT industry in the United States. Today, we're going to deepen that conversation with our, with our guests, Brent Bassett and Lisa Sharpenberg from AeroCore. They do staffing and consulting, a lot of it in the IT industry. And I was talking with them yesterday about some of the things that have happened over the past few months in immigration um, that may have affected their industry. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Yeah. So first of all, start us off by telling us a little bit about AeroCore, your practice, who you staff, and, and a little bit about your consulting work as well. So we primarily have focused in the IT sector for the most part. We dip into other you know, industries and branches sometimes, but for the most part, it's been IT, 80%, 90%. Uh, we do perm placements. We also have consulting services that are contract or staff augmentation services. Uh, we sometimes can also do P&L, right, and own the, the books on uh, consulting services across the board. Great. And from your understanding, Brent and Lisa, how much and how big does this immigration conversation affect IT? Do you know what percentage of the IT population or even in your own company are actually um, either H-1Bs or they're H-1Bs who may have gotten green cards and so they have a real meaningful interest in, in immigration and how immigration policy plays out? So in the business today, still primarily... You know, we have a lot of folks that are actually in the in the realm of um, immig- you know natural immigrants or people mm-hmm. that are working on H one Bs, EAD or or even green cards. But you know, with sixty five thousand new applicants per year coming through the system, you know, we do have a I guess a good opportunity for you know a lot of that IT services to uh, kind of take place. Mm. Yeah. So, Lisa, um, from a business development standpoint. Have you seen any changes in the business and how you're conducting business based on some of the, I guess, prospective changes in immigration policy? Are you seeing any changes or has anything changed? Um, it really depends. It, it It's really based on our clientele. If, if mm-hmm. they're going to allow H-1Bs into their program um, to have them, I and mean, we've got some clients that just don't allow it right now, um, but others that are very open to it and allow it. And the ones that do, we are definitely see, you know putting them to work and um, and increasing that and seeing that business increase quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And just in general, as you think about uh, AeroCore, does it matter to you? And, and if so, why? And how are you thinking about it, you know, as you hear all the stuff happening in the, the public discourse around immigration? What are your thoughts? Like, what, what, go, what was going through your mind a couple weeks ago, for example, when there was, you know, the, the, um, the executive order? That that was well, written. We did have we did have a little flux in um, you know calls and things of that nature. There was some concern about uh, you know what am I going to be able to continue to be employed? Am I going to be able to get my um, my petition stamped? Am I going to be able to remain active in service? So we definitely had some of that occur. Okay, 
that's kind of, it was that knee-jerk reaction. Mm. It, it kind of has slowed down since then. And people are now kind of questioning, well, what does that really mean? And I think we're still at that point of trying to determine, like, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? Uh, you know, even if it even if it does kind of slow down the pace of the um, immigration process or, or allowing, you know, uh, immigrants to work within um, the borders, I think that we still have a really, you know, interesting opportunity, you know, here at home for, you know, there's kind of this growth in nationalism and being able to, uh, you know, train and ramp up, you know, our services and, and IT services within, you know, American citizens. So tell us, th- so how would that work? So right now, my understanding is that some big majority, let's say it's 75 or 80 percent of IT professionals are it, are immigrants or they were immigrants um, and, and they may be naturalized citizens now. There may be whole parts of the, the, um, the IT industry that are just not prepared for a big swing in immigration policy. And yet you're saying that there may be you know, an opportunity for us to really train up the U.S. nationals. How would that actually play out? How long would it take? What would need to happen? How, how, tell us, uh, tell us what would what would need to take place for there to be this kind of a shift. It really starts with ed- education, right? I mean, you've got to first of all have the need, and there's always been the need. It, it's just it seems that India specifically has been very good at at ramping up and building their industry around educating and and training people up on you know CRM billing systems, new platforms, and new technologies quickly, the ability to do that is really in our own hands. So really, first of all, you see a need. There's a, if there's a void in immigration, you know, folks that are here that we need to be able to basically take a step back, figure out how to, you know, get them trained, get them ramped up, um, get them the tools and the um, academics so they can then move into the industry and start to kind of take over some of that work here locally at home. And Lisa... You know, you have been on the the Inc. 5000 list. Congratulations, by the way. You're way up on the list. You're like not even 5,000. You're on the Inc. 500, which is really great. So <clears throat> certainly, I, I imagine your ability to source talent affects your ability to grow. How are you thinking about, if, if at all, you know, what the, how these policy, political changes and how the policies will affect your ability to, to have the same crop of talent that you've obviously been able to successfully source thus far? I think it, it I think it does go, come down to the talent. I mean, if the people are there and the need is there, our clients say, hey, this is, you know, what we need. This is the um, technology that we're after, the skills that we need. I mean, if we can find these people locally, that's great. Um, like Brent had mentioned, a lot of the time these people um, are from India. So, and they're, you know, learning these different technologies and these cutting edge technologies that a lot of people don't have that skill for or have learned here in the States. So, um Hopefully, we'll still be able to, you know, bring those people over and our clients will still have the need and, and be open to sponsorships. Hmm. How did you develop your international strategy? Brent, that's, <laughs> Brent, Brent well, started You it. know, so th- it started off with a situation where, you know, one of our competitors, that's one of the big names, one of the big, you know, consulting groups, we saw that we were a- unable to go head to head with them because we did not have offshore capability. We'd had partnerships before where, you know, we had somebody in the background that could help us, mm-hmm. uh, ramp stuff up and, and we could, you know, ba- basically offload work to that organization. But it, it, there's nothing like owning it yourself and having your hand, you know, kind of at the throttle on it. So we took a step back. We went into India and went into Delhi and set up a, um, a business there that does, offers development and then, you know, recruiting and sourcing so that we can have a follow the sun model as mm-hmm. well as uh, do application development there. 
This is very interesting. So you went to India, right? And you start were able to successfully start a company in India. To me, that sounds like climbed Mount Everest. Like, how do you actually start a, a company in a foreign country that's so different from the U.S. and have it be successful? What were some of the things that you had to do and how, how have you, I mean, really, how have you been able to do that? Every country is different. We've also looked at Europe as well and, and evaluated some business there. But specifically in India, one of the main things, and, and you've got to have an anchor person. So we had an anchor person that, that had developed trust with us, and we developed trust with him. And he was able to um, you know, kind of stand up that business there for us and help us you know, do all the red tape, you know, they, they get the building, get operations up and running, find and hire the right people around us. And so, you know, having that anchor person, I think, at, at any location is kind of a key right. to navigate the seas, right? Yeah, and, and Brent's, while Brent's um, running the business here, um, our, his partner, Rohit, is running the business in India. And like he said, he is the right-hand man. I mean, he handles operations, um, recruiting, managing the team, and he's really been great for us and for our business. Mm. Um, he's handled everything, um, and it's, he's a great partner to Brent. You know, it it always comes down to people, doesn't it? It does. It always comes down to people. I can imagine, and you hear about these partnerships, and they often don't go very well. You know, like the 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 success story where the two people find each other, and you have you know one person who's what ten and a half hours away, and you know the cultural differences, etc. How did you bind that relationship, and and how do you bind that relationship? Because you know, presumably, I mean. It, it, there are a lot of ways it could go wrong. Let me just say that, not not be doom and gloom. There was he was so much. There was so much ambition, and then uh, that Rohit had, and when he came aboard, and you know, this is a guy that called me out of the blue and said, "I'm going to work for you for free for a month, okay, and then I'm going to be able to impress you so much and do so much for your company that you're going to you know want to keep me around forever." And, uh, you know, we kind of played that out. And by the way, a month later, I was sitting there saying, hey, how much do we have budget for to, you know, to start moving some strategy, some of our money over to, you know, this area and, and start investing here. And that's kind of the way it started. Mm. So it is, you're right. It's about the people, people that are ambitious. They have good attitudes. They've got good workmen. Work, you know, they're just very engaging, right? So this is an engaging, very dedicated, loyal, you know, uh, employee that kind of started it up and got everything going. Mm -hmm. And if you find that across the board, you can replicate it and be very highly successful at anything you do if you surround yourself with good people. Yeah. So go ahead, Lisa. I, I was just going to say it's, we joke about it because we feel like he, Rohit truly doesn't sleep. I mean, he is always available no matter what time it is. You know, it could be middle of the night for him. It could be first thing in the morning when we need him. If Brent or I call him and need something, he's there. He always answers. He's very responsive. That's Brent's favorite word, uh, responsive um, in this business. And, you know, it's great to know that we have a trusted partner across the ocean, you know, that we can always rely on no matter what. So it's great. And, and given that you're in a people business, right, and you're scaling quickly, which I think is, is, uh, is fascinating. Um, the CEOs listening to the show, I mean, it's, it's a perennial issue and it is the issue, right? How do you then take whatever practices that you've developed with your small core and begin to replicate them on a much larger basis. I would love to hear you you both weigh in on that. So, I mean, replicating you know replicating the business, it, it, we we oftentimes I sit back and, and we go where the people say, well, why are you in that business? Why are you doing that particular area? Or why are you working with that particular company? And and what happens is sometimes it finds us. So we kind of end up 
our strategy kind of aligns and goes where the business actually goes. So if you had told me that we were going to be doing permanent placements, for instance, five years ago, I would have laughed and, and said, there's no way. We've kind of backed into that because one day somebody called and said, hey, can you find a, you know, a CTO for us? And I said, sure, I've got a lot of people I know that do this as well. Let me throw some names your way. And then I started saying, well, why don't we turn that into a, a revenue opportunity? You know, next thing you know, we started doing some vice presidents for some of the telecommunications. And then we started then dipping down into, you know, the, the application developers and architects and things of that nature. Our major part of our business is permanent placements and, and such. So really, it, it, we go where the work is and we kind of try to replicate what we're doing in each of the areas or each of the uh, business clients that we service. And that's kind of the way that, that it has flown. Um, I'll even expand to say one more thing that we, we've recently, um, we're working on a deal that would put us into the hospitality space uh, without naming kind of who the client might be, but it would, and it would, you know, double the company again, just from this one poten- potential client. Mm. And I'm actually also interested in the flip side, right? Which is, it's great that you have the business and yes, getting the business is tough, <laughs> But how do you find the good people that can deliver consistent service over and over and over again? Because it's not like we're dealing with ATMs, right? <laughs> you know, like, you know, we're dealing with people and people are messy. Yes, people yeah. are people are very um, tough. That's the hardest part of our business. I mean, we're dealing with people and they're the most unpredictable beings out there, right? I mean, you expect them to show up and you expect them to be there and reliable and responsive, but that doesn't always happen. I guess with with that being said, you know, we we're always out to find the best people. We like to find people that are similar to us and and have our interests and um kind of understand what we're going after and having the same goals and I feel like that's what, you know, what brings it all together. Mm-hmm. And I guess for a company that's a staffing company, if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe just a a, a taste of your secret sauce, like if you wouldn't like how do you find great people? Internally or for our clients? Both. Well, it, again, it's, it's you know, we want to find people, um, when it's for our clients, it's, you know, there's technical skills are, are probably the most important. Um, a lot of our clients, you know, it's my job to go and meet with the people, meet with the decision makers, meet with the hiring managers, the VPs, the CTOs, find out exactly what they need and what they want for their team, um, and then bring that back to my team of recruiters um, to go find the people. And for us internally, um, you know, we've got the technical skills, but we've got soft skills, knowing the the client's culture, knowing their environment, um, you know, all those things are a big piece of it. They want somebody that's going to fit into their team, as well as we would want some, you know, the same, somebody to internally to fit in our team. Um, so when our recruiters are actually looking for people, you know, we are, the first place we go is referrals. We, you know, our current talent and people that are working for us now, we always like to reach out to them, see what, see who they know, you know, because you can trust somebody that's already working for you. Um, you know, LinkedIn, job boards, um, things like that, of course. Uh, we always like to meet all of our candidates. Um, occasionally we'll do, you know, brain bench type tests to make sure that their skills are what they say they are, um, get references, you know, meeting them in person, of course. Um, and then, you know, if they're a good fit, then submitting them to the client. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> internally, when we're finding people as well, we, of course, like to, you know, do phone interviews, meet them, take them out to lunch, see how they interact with the team, um, and, you know, make sure they're really a right fit because we are a smaller company, but we all, you know, we work hard, we play hard, we're a family, essentially. So we like to make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. Mm-hmm. How do you compete, though? So ta- talent always has, you know, multiple options. Right. And so the market for talent is, is incredibly competitive. 
what's what's your approach to competing for for the best talent? You know, again, it's um, when something comes out, when a client has a need, our as soon as we get it, we're on it. And that's what's kind of great about having the India team. If I get a rec, a position from a client at eight o'clock at night, I know I can call Rohit and the India team because of the time difference to get on it and work on it and be very aggressive with trying to find that the right team um, and the right the right candidates for that. But I kind of I think what kind of sets us apart is meeting these people face to face if possible, if we can locally here, bringing them into the office, making sure that they are what we expect them to be, um, not only on paper but you know in person. And then um, you know doing having the the referrals and the references. I mean I think that's a little bit of what sets us apart. Do you have anything else? Brendan. <laughs> that was great. I love it. I mean, I would only add that uh, on the in- internal customers or, or, or like, we always ask the question, you know, can you trust that person? That's kind of the, if you had to ask one question, do you feel like you can trust that person? And then I'll ask the team, do you feel like you can work with this person? Is this somebody you're going to be around, you know, 40 hours, you know, a week? You know, do you, is this somebody that you can see us working with and working closely with? And if those answers are are yes, then you know they're, they've got a good chance of of being you know on the inside of that track. Um, we've I feel, I feel like we hire people oftentimes. Uh, you know, you go too quickly, and then uh, you know then you can mess up, and you hire someone, you've got somebody in the wrong seat or the wrong position. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it, our interview process. It, we do kind of step back and meet the whole team, and you know, let's as Lisa mentioned, go to lunch and try to. You know, make sure that each hire we make is strategic and somebody that's going to be there so that we're not churning and doing that same job, you know, a month, three months later. For everyone listening, we're talking to the AeroCore Group, Brent Bassett, CEO, and Lisa Sharpenberg, Director of Business Development. And uh, AeroCore is an IT staffing and consulting firm, and they're on the Inc. They're way, way up on the Inc. <laughs> 500 list. So just to turn the conversation a little bit, I would love to hear the story of your growth. And and you talked a little bit about it, Brent, very modestly, like, oh, the opportunities just landed on top of me. But <laughs> I'm sure that you worked for them at least a little bit. So how have you been able to, to grow so quickly? And yes, opportunities do find us, but we got to be ready for them and we got to be able to execute them effectively when they come. So share with us some of why you think you've been able to grow the business so successfully. Well, I guess, you know, from a client perspective, it, and when we got our start, it was kind of a, a nice little um, kickstart because I came out of corporate America, Fortune 500, and I came out, left corporate America at a time when a lot of my colleagues and peers were leaving as well. And, uh, and when we did, everybody went into different areas in the community. I'm not a sales guy. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a, you know, architect type, you know, strategic planner type and in IT. And so I came out and was able to meet with the CTOs or meet with the vice presidents or the hiring managers and say, you know, you know me, and then we work together here. You know, you can trust me to you know provide your consulting services. So that's how we kind of got the opportunity. That's how we kind of got our foot in the door, and we're relevant. You know, we were not a body shop. Um, we've never been just hey, th- you know, throw a bunch of resumes and hope that something sticks. We've always been the kind that we want to sit down. We want to understand our clients' needs. And then really work towards getting the right person, the right fit in that seat. That's kind of the way that uh, we got our, I guess, our our start, right? And then from there, how did the 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 consist? Oh, so one of the things, listeners, he mentioned to me at the beginning of the show is like, oh yeah, we're we're getting ready to do it again next year. Um, so you're not small anymore. 
And I think that that ability to maintain growth is is also really difficult. And so as you look at yourself now, having, you know, being an established company, already been build, having a track record of success, how do you maintain your success and maintain your growth as well? Well, you want to, you first of all, keep your employees, right, happy and keep your employees engaged. Mm-hmm. And doing that, and, you know, so you're not churning again. You've got the same people, you know, they're helping and, and jumping in and, and helping you grow that business alongside of you. Then as opportunities come up, you know, you're, you're scaling that business to size. You're, you're bringing more people on as you need to. You're training people up, opening new offices, doing all of these things that you're doing to, you know, sustain growth. We'll go wherever the business is. Mm. Um, like we got a, a couple opportunities I was mentioning. You know, we're looking at offices that in cities that I never thought we'd look at um, before. And it's because, you know, that's how it shaped up and how the opportunity presented itself. And Lisa, so what's your philosophy about keeping employees engaged? How do you keep the employees um, engaged and plugged in and, and supporting you on all this growth that's happening? Well, you know, the, I think it comes down to keeping them happy, like Brett had mentioned, um, and challenging them, you know, daily, um, letting them be their own, you know, be their own boss in a sense, giving them their own, you know, wings to fly and do what they need to do. But at the end of the day, coming back and and challenge them a little bit with with what they've done on a weekly basis, monthly basis. Um, you know, we like to, to check in with everybody. We have two meetings a day. Um, we have a meeting in the morning and a meeting in the afternoon. Check in, see where everybody's at, see what challenges they're coming across, um, seeing where they need help. I mean, just that, that communication across the board, um, I think is key. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, again, work hard, play hard. We all have a good time and, you know, we're away from our families and away from our our friends. Um, but, you know, when we're in the seats and we're working hard, we know that, th- that there's light at the end of the tunnel and, and, um, and everybody really enjoys what they do um, at our company. And um, we're tight knit and having that relationship with each other is, is huge. And go ahead. I just wanted to add to kind of to that. We kind of have this, you know, the work-life balance type of thing. And I think that's big with the, with the employees, right? I went over to Europe for a while, uh, a couple of years ago, and I was looking at setting up a business over there and I saw how they operate. And it's so drastically different than how we do. And in terms of more vacation time, more time off, there's more, you know, the employees are really catered to and taken care of from benefits and things of this nature. So, you know, we'd come back, we'd Started off, we we were at a time paying you know, everybody's insurance. I mean, that was because you know it was unheard of. And right. We just don't do that. Who pays for everybody's insurance? You know, years ago, and that kind of got us. I think some good um, leverage in terms of you know people appreciated that. They really gravitated towards it, and it helped us. I think kind of build that base of the core employees and people around us. You know, and I'll bring you know Lisa's mentioning working hard and these things, and we do. But you know, she's. And, and like many others, she's a, a working mom, and then she has other obligations and child that is, you know, maybe doesn't feel good one day or this or that. And we're very open and, and hey, you know, work from home. Do what you need to do. We're not, I'm not uh, standing over anybody's shoulder. We're not micromanaging. We're very hands-off. And, and again, it's family-oriented. So it's, you know, take care of what you need to here, and we'll get the work done. It'll, it'll work itself out. And I think that philosophy has carried over to really goodwill in terms of mm-hmm. the, the you know, employees in general being very you know, dedicated and loyal and wanting to stick, you know, within the organization. I think that's a lot of our magic. You're like, what's your you know, magic sauce? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of it, just that philosophy there. How, what, what are some of the other aspects of your culture? So you said work hard, play hard, building a lot of goodwill with your employees, communication. Anything else that you think is really important in your culture that you haven't mentioned yet that, that makes you 
desirable to work for and to work with. I mean, he mentioned the work-life balance. Again, that's so huge um, because I, as Brent mentioned, I'm, I have two small children and they're in daycare and they're sick a lot. You know, I get called <laughs> and so I'm able to go pick them up and work from home if I need to. Um, you know, other people have dogs and you know, that don't have children that have had issues and if they need to go pick up their dog or take it to the vet or, you know, just that's that work-life balance is huge and you don't have that a lot of companies. In fact, we've got a client that will not allow any work from home. In today's world, I mean, you if you've got a laptop and a cell phone, you, you can do our job anywhere. Um, but that, you know, it comes down to trusting your employees and making sure that they will do what needs to get done. And that's what we have, which we're very blessed and lucky to have that in our office. It's it, this trust word comes up a lot on the show, it comes up a lot. I guess it comes up a lot in life. What's your philosophy both to instilling trust in your employees? And then um, making sure that, that that trust is kind of carried out and, and it's holding people accountable what you, what you think they're going to do. Yeah. Well, again, it's, you know, people, you never know what people are going to do. And then, uh, but, you know, I think is if, you, if you start off and lead with, with trust you know, through respect, right? So individual respect, mutual respect for the team. We, there's never a time where I can ever imagine or think about anybody within our organization huddling in break room talking about somebody else. It's mm. just a zero tolerance towards that. We don't, you know, we're family, we forgive, we, we let go of things. We're very open-minded and very, you know, in our diversification across the board in, in terms of our employee stack and the way that we operate. And I think that that builds trust in itself just by, you know, the mutual respect and being able to kind of on a daily basis know that you're in a, in a safe and, and, and healthy work environment where there's, you know, don't have the drama. You don't have um, any of that uh, going on that you kind of can see or have, I, you can feel in some of the corporate America kind of uh, organizations. And mm -hmm. if you kind of lead that way, I think it, it kind of sets up a culture of, of letting your guard down and really, <clears throat> you know, kind of getting into the uh, moment of, um, of, you know, caring about that company because you feel like that company cares about you. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a little bit different because for years, you know, when we were growing up, then, I think that uh, you know, it was always, you're going to work at a company, you're going to be there 25 years, and then you know you get the watch and you get the package out and you're done. Over time, right, we've kind of gotten into a society where it's okay to you know, jump jobs. Millennials, and it, even that whole new phenomenon and how, they're, how they operate and, and work and think about... Mercenaries. Um, uh, the, the, I'm sorry? They're mercenaries. Everybody, mer everybody's a mercenary, right? Right. And it's kind of hired gun, right? I kind of call it a gunslinger. You're a hired gun. You know, it's kind of, you're buying the skill... So it's really trying to get back to some of that, you know, the company cares about you versus, hey, I'm a number and I'm expendable, right? You're valuable, care about you, respect you, and it helps build that trust that you're kind of guiding towards. Mm. So what are some of the things that are new and exciting at Aerocord that you think CEOs listening to the show would be interested in? You mentioned opening a bunch of different offices, which I think is cool. Anything else? I don't know, Lisa, what do you got? What, what, <laughs> she's our business development. What have we got coming down the pipe that... Uh, is going to really turn everything on the head, on its head, head here. I don't. I don't know. I did. So we've got a lot going on. As we kind of mentioned before, we're branching into um, some new clients in the hospitality industry, which is going to be very big for our business. And yeah, opening up these these newer offices, um, expanding our team locally and internationally. Um, that's definitely going to be. Um, in the future, once the once this business hits and it, and it grows, um, so that's exciting. Um, we're actually hiring now, 
looking for people. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, other than that, I there, there's something new every day. I mean, it's constantly changing and it's fun. Well, for those of you listening, we're talking to Brent Bassett and Lisa Sharpenberg from AeroCore Group, which is an IT staffing and consulting firm. Thank you so much for joining me today on CEO Exclusive. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. And I hope you have a very prosperous, productive, and profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.